Hi there, my name is Brandon Boat, and you're listening to the Theater of Public Policy podcast. This episode comes from a live show we did on April 8th, 2019. Our guest was Attorney General of Minnesota Keith Ellison. Ellison is the former congressman from Minnesota's 5th District. Our conversation covered why he decided to change roles, what he hopes to accomplish in his new position, and what could happen when traditionally nonpartisan elected positions become more partisan. Our media sponsor for this season was MinPost, which provides reader-supported news and analysis. You can find out more information at MinPost.com. Thank you so yeah, much for it. being here. Hey, good to be here. Uh, see everybody. So uh, I, I didn't know there's so many. I want to talk about a lot of the, the policy things that you're doing uh, as as attorney general. I kind of wanted to start, though, and I know you've been asked this in other ways before. Why are you attorney general? Right. Like you seem to have such a plum gig being the congressperson for life from Minneapolis, if you had wanted to be in perfectly harmonious Washington, D.C., where things just happen and work out. And then you threw that all away for the rough and tumble of the attorney general's office and all the critical eyes that pay really close attention to that <laughs> office. So why why do the switch? Well, it was kind of in the spirit of improv, right? You got to go, go, go with it, you know? <laughs> you feel it, you got to do it, you know? So, no, really, the, the reason is, is that, you know, at the attorney general's office and to all my fellow attorney general's office folks... Oh, I thought you were going to say all here. the other attorney generals in the office. <laughs> I'm like, how well, many are here? They, well, put your hands up. Yeah. There's one, two. Anybody else? I can't see past uh, the first yeah. row. That, I just assume that keeps going in every yeah. row. Yeah. They, yeah, they're not all from the yeah. attorney generals. No, it's really a more a matter of trying to be more effective. You know, it, as attorney general, today we were working on helping protect consumers who live in manufactured housing. We were working on people who I think are getting ripped off by certain for-profit colleges. We're talking to people in uh, the telecom community who pay for cable service and don't always get what they paid for or get or pay more than what they were promised. And so like every week, every day, we get to do something to put more money back in the pockets of Minnesotans or protect their rights. So like last week, we, there was a, a particular company that was discriminating against transgender people. We're suing them. And, you know, we're, so we get to stand up for folks, help people afford their lives, and help people live with dignity and respect. How is that different, then, than, than Congress? Yeah. <laughs> well, at the Attorney General's office, we get to actually do that. And in Congress, you get to talk about it sometimes. Uh, you know, really, I mean, look, Congress is great. I was honored to be there. It was my privilege and my honor to represent people for the 12 years that I was there. But I came to the conclusion that it was much more about a press release or a YouTube video of me questioning some, you know, administration witness and not as much about passing legislation. So between 2009 and 2011, you know, it was, it was all, it's actually pretty good. You know, we passed the Affordable Care Act. We passed the Lilly Ledpetter Fair Pay Act. We passed the Wall Street Reform Act. And after that, all we did is play defense the whole time. And so I just feel like, you know, my life of public service needs to be a little bit more uh, productive. And, uh, you know, I think Congress is great. I think people who serve there uh, work really hard. Uh, But for me, uh, I needed to be a little bit more uh, action-oriented. We were talking about this a little bit. Uh, behind or backstage, but I 
I was curious if you've noticed if there's any kind of mismatch, though, between the amount of attention people pay oh, to you goodness. as, like, a member of Congress and, like, now in this role where, you know, oh, my gosh, a congressperson, Keith Ellison, like, oh, the, it, we must, like, roll out the red carpet. And Attorney General, oh, well, who's ever heard of that? Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, in all seriousness, I'm wondering if, like, people get why this job would be more important to you. Well, you know, um, I never really got into politics for the um, public profile of it. And it's, it, to me, it's a necessary part of the work. If you're a public official, you should communicate with the public, and that's important. But uh, that was never why I got into it. And so, yeah, being in Congress is high profile. You know, you're on TV on all week long national television. You, uh, you get quoted a lot. But, but sadly, you know, people don't, you can't eat. You like quotes or, or, or you can't – I mean you need people in, who are going – you need a government that's going to work for you. And I just got dissatisfied with sort of the, the, the visibility of the job and the lack of productivity of the job. Can I uh, – I'm going to uh, – what was a bigger factor in you deciding to run to be attorney general? Donald Trump being president or Lori Swanson not running for attorney general? Well, I would not have run against Lori. Um, and so when she made the decision on that weekend, who was there? Does anybody remember at the state convention? I think literally everyone was at the Secretary of State's <laughs> office. This entire audience was there filing for something. Something. Because it set off a certain, uh, you know, chain reaction. Um, so, I mean, if Lori hadn't, have, hadn't have run, pulled out and ran for governor, I would not have run for attorney general. I'd still be serving the 5th District and loving it. Uh, but, I mean, it opened up an opportunity. And... So it's really I enjoy being in representing Greater Minnesota. Yesterday I was in Marshall uh, uh, visiting folk. Not yesterday, but over the weekend, and uh, that was awesome. Talking to the folks there about what they're facing, what they're going through. Part of what I want to do is be a lot more active in Greater Minnesota, so that every every inch of this state feels that the AG's office has their back. Um, and so you know, uh, it really had. It opened up an opportunity that I was hoping to have. So let's talk about what, because, again, you've made a good case for why you're passionate about this. I, again, I feel like probably a lot of us don't even get maybe, like, what it is that your office does. You sue people or we, you sue companies. Yeah. Are you suing us? Uh, no. What? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> so what, just what is, like, sort of the powers or, like, responsibilities of the attorney general's office? Like, so... I just want to encourage everybody to look up Minnesota Statute 8.31. It's a good one. It's there one of my go. favorite points. <laughs> well, it says that we're supposed to uh, enforce the law or violations of law or suspected violations of law in, area, in the area of commerce or trade or, uh, or business. And we, uh, that's one of our authorities. We're supposed to stand up against discrimination. Uh, and we're supposed to make sure that all of the State agencies are represented. There's over 100 boards, commissions, uh, and and uh, and and uh, different agencies that supervise, uh, you know, various activity. And you know, we also have the job of giving advice to um, to the public in the form of attorneys general opinions. And you know, it's actually a pretty pretty cool job. You know, it's 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 fun. It's and you think some things you think are boring are actually super important. <laughs> You know, like, like what? <laughs> well, like, did anybody see the uh, podcast called Doctor Death? So that podcast is about a neurosurgeon 
who like cut up people and like maim them for life. Very grim. But we have a board of medical licensing which monitors people who deliver those services to make sure they're doing it right and proper. So, and then the other, you know, we have a bunch of lawyers who represent ratepayers. So, you know, when you don't have a high energy bill, you can thank folks at the Minnesota Attorney General's office fighting to keep your rates down. Um, there's, there's a lot of work that our folks do that the public doesn't see and may not even notice, but it's like a good referee, you know? You know they're doing a good job when you don't notice them. So let's talk about some specific ones. Uh, I mean, there's a whole batch of different things, and I'm hoping we can touch on several of them. One, uh, one uh, there was a three-state three health care fraud uh, settlement that, that your office was a part of against Walgreens. Like, can you just give it as, as a sort of example, what was that argument? And then sort of like, this was, I think, Walgreens was... Uh, I, I'm not sure exactly. They were defrauding well, some folks. and Well, you know, you have to be um, fair and honest and have uh, fair trade practices and truth in advertising. And, you know, we found them not doing that, so we sued them. Okay. Uh, and one, so you sued them, and then there is a, there's a multi-million dollar settlement that comes out of that. Yeah. Where does that money go? Well, a lot of it goes back to the people who were defrauded. You know, so whenever we settle a case, there's basically – three things that can happen. One is restitution to the victims of the fraud, right? So you get your money back. So, you know, some company is tacking on a $10 fee every month on your bill that you didn't ask for and they didn't say they were going to do. You get your money back. Sometimes it's much, much more than $10, uh, like in the uh, like the insulin cases or uh, some of the opioid cases we're, we're dealing with right now. Those settlements will be higher. And then sometimes we get civil fines, uh, and that goes back to the general fund. And sometimes we get attorney, attorney's fees, and that money goes back to the general fund. And then there's injunctive relief where we say, you cannot do that, you must do that, that kind of thing, which is sort of like ordering them to cease and desist or to commence doing a certain thing. So the, that's sort of the range of the relief that we can provide for people. I am curious. So these are court cases. These go yeah. to court. Do you, do you go and argue them? Like how does, you know, I, my job now is to sort of manage the office, but I'm really looking forward to get back in the courtroom. Somebody was saying this to me that like, yeah. maybe one of the reasons that Keith Ellison wanted to be attorney general was because he missed get, getting to lawyer. You know what? For 16 years, I spent almost every day in a courtroom. I tried a lot of cases you know, serious cases like murder cases and civil rights cases and all kind of cases. And I love cross-examining witnesses, investigating, preparing the case, presenting the case to the jury. I just, I just found it to be really, really fun. Um, but I got into politics because it was you could really only help one person at a time. Uh, and so I got into politics to sort of make systemic change as, as I, if I could. Uh, and so now I, I do look forward to getting back in front of a court of appeals or trying a case. Uh, because uh, I enjoy it, and I and I I think I'm pretty good at it, and so we'll see. And so that is potentially part of this job. Well, there, like- yeah, there's 130 lawyers, right? And some of them have worked these cases up, and so they're like, "Look, man, you're not taking over my case. I'm <laughs> I am making this argument to the court of appeals, but there will maybe come a day when I can, uh, you know, without you know being a bigfoot and stealing somebody's case, get in there." And make make an appellate argument or try a case to a jury. 
That's exciting. And I'm um, looking forward to that. Uh, so let's talk about some other ones uh, that, that your office is doing. Oh, so there's been several where you're joining, like, multiple states in things against the federal government. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, oh, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, probably the highest profile of these is against uh, President Trump's emergency declaration yeah. for, like, a wall. The wall, whatnot. sure. So uh, with... With that, what is how does that what is the lawsuit there? I guess like how right. does that actually look like? So here's the thing: so Congress decides where the money's going to go. The power of the purse. Y'all heard of it, right? So they decided that Minnesota and every other state was going to get some money for military construction, the National Guard, and drug interdiction. So when Trump basically pushed the emergency button, that allowed him to take over Congress's job in appropriating money. So he wants to take your money for those three things I mentioned and send it to Arizona, California, or New Mexico so that he can build a wall. And I just think, look, you want a wall, ask Congress for the wall. They said no. And so you don't get a wall. You can't just declare a fake emergency that allows you to then reappropriate our money that we need. If you remember, uh, when he had, the weekend he announced this wall, we had white-out blizzard conditions in southern Minnesota. The National Guard literally had to save people who were trapped on trains and other places. We need our National Guard money. He cannot have it. So we are fighting him back, and he's not getting our money. So the piece of this that I find, uh, that's... I, I, oh, yeah. yeah go, 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 go. Um, so I, I think California was the first one to say, we are going to... We're going to sue over this. And now we're at I, how many states? It's something like 16. Yeah, we're about at 16. But 16, you know, one 16. of the other cool things about the job is that Javier Becerra and I were in Congress together. Well, this is what I was going to ask you. Yeah. Is it like you're like, oh, Javier Becerra is suing the Trump administration? I got to get in on that. And like you call him up and you're like, hey, Javier, like, can Minnesota get in on this thing with you? And well, he's like, oh, I don't know. I guess. Like, <laughs> Actually, Javier was like, are you in? Are you in? Come on, man. It's going to be fun. No. But uh, so it's more, it's sort of a cooperative kind of thing. But the, I mean, that's because a, a lot of the things you do are multi-state things or whatnot. True. And some of them are bipartisan, you know, yeah. like a lot of the opioid litigation is both Republican and Democrat, you know. So it's not always like a, 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 a liberal progressive states versus the conservative ones. It's a mix sometimes. I mean, I, I ask that sort of jokingly, but I am very serious about I'm curious about what does that look like? Do you, just, do you literally have, like, all the attorney generals, like, in your phone, and you can be like, I don't know, I really think that, like, that I don't know who it is, the AG of Massachusetts, they'd be totally into this. Do you think I should call yeah. them? Oh, the AG of Wyoming will be mad if you call them first. Like, <laughs> You know, we get a conference call, and we just kind of talk it out. And, yeah. so, and some people are in, some people are not. You know, it's cool. Um, but and, and sometimes we only have three or four, and sometimes we have a lot. You know, I mean, it, so it all depends on the issue. Like nearly every state did did something on tobacco years ago. Y'all remember that? Uh, but um, most recently, you know, and then sometimes states go it alone. Like there was a, I believe there was an opioid case that settled in Oklahoma just a few days ago. Uh, and then so, but all the rest of us are like, well, what does this mean for us? And so we're looking at because we're a little worried that Purdue Pharma uh, is running out of money and they might declare bankruptcy. And then what will that mean? And, you know, but we also know that the folks in the who the family that own the company, that's where the deep pocket is. So 
Uh, a couple other ones. Uh, there's there was a big case around uh, protecting uh, Liberian Americans yeah, here in Minnesota. Yeah, we, we went you, there last. last can you week? talk us through what what was that piece about? So, what we did, we actually led on that, and that was a amicus brief that we filed uh, together with uh, uh, Massachusetts. Their attorney general is a star named Maura Healy. She um, she's a former uh, professional basketball player, and now she's an AG. So, so she's awesome. You know, I asked her what she thought about the final four. Boy, she just, I said, I gotta go. Stop. I cannot, you know. But anyway, uh, so she and I and um, a, a bunch of others joined uh, because we have such a large Liberian community, a lot of people on DED here. But it really was a civil rights organization in Washington that filed the initial com- uh, complaint, summons and complaint. And their argument was, you know, the president has said incredibly insulting, derisive, hateful, racist things about that country and the people from there by extension. And look, the president can extend or deny uh, certain immigration statuses, right? But he can't do it on an impermissible reason. And but, he was going to, the, the thing that led to this was he was going to revoke uh, protected status? March, like- March 31st was the expiration on Deferred, deferred action. Uh, um, yeah, uh, action. You know, DED, d- deferred uh, execution. I don't know what the E is for. <laughs> you know, it's like temporary status, right? Yeah. And so that was the the. And so historically, presidents have just rolled it over and rolled it over because uh, Liberia continues to have a lot of serious problems, and because people have been here twenty years. So, like, if they were 40 when they got here, they're 60 now. And if they were two when they got here, they're 22 now. They don't know Liberia anymore the way they used to. They've gotten married. They've bought houses. They have careers. They're here now. And they're highly integrated into our society. And so what really should happen is we need comprehensive immigration reform. If Congress would pass an immigration bill, none of these problems would be here. These people would all be, they're all contemplated in a comprehensive immigration reform bill. And yet we drag our feet and don't do it, so their their status is always a little tenuous. And so, uh, so we yeah. so they sued. We filed amicus, and we got a bunch of people to join us. And uh, uh, just to play the, the amicus means friend of the court. Yeah, well, I'm a amicus. There you go. Uh, we, can, <laughs> we can be amicuses. Uh, <laughs> there you go. So okay, one other. Uh, I, uh, I have other cases I want to ask, but I should say in the second half of the show, we open it up for you all to ask questions of our guests. So I hope that you all have lots of cases that the, the attorney general's office is working on that you want to ask about. I'm going to just ask one other piece, which kind of brings us back to the beginning of this conversation, which is just um, the some of these state offices always seem a little strange to me because – it's your. It's supposed to be sort of a nonpartisan office, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, it's supposed to be this office that is, I don't know, applying the law in this way, and it's supposed to be representing these different things. And sure. we've held it at, for a long time as sixties, uh, uh, yeah, above mm-hmm. like oh, red, blue, or whatnot, and mm-hmm. yet. I don't think anybody would say, like, Keith Ellison is not a partisan person, right? Like, so, and t- in fairness, your opponent, nobody would have said, like, Doug Wardlow is a not partisan person. And so I guess the question is, should we stop thinking about this as sort of like a above politics position? Like, no, it matters if there's a Democrat or Republican in this, and we should play it that way. Well, it totally matters whether there's a Democrat or Republican. 
But I will tell you that I have not and will never ask the people who work at the Attorney General's office what their party affiliation is. And I think you can be genuinely conservative and still care about consumers and still care about clean water and still make sure that, um, uh, you know, that, that employees are treated fairly on the job. You can be truly, like, genuinely conservative and still hold those values. So I'm more focusing on the values thing than on party stuff. And, but he said he's going to fire a bunch of people who are Democrats. So I, I was like, that's outrageous. But, um, look, I, it's not false advertising, right? I tell people, if you elect me, I'm going to stand up for, you know, women's rights, reproductive rights. I'm going to stand up for civil rights. I'm going to stand up for workers and labor unions. I'm a, I tell folks what I'm going to do. They make a decision on who they want, right? And so in that way, it is, it is partisan. But I can tell you that if you are the most conservative Republican, if somebody rips you off in consumer fraud, I'm going to be after them. And you can bet on that. I can tell you that if somebody, some healthcare company, jacks you for some absorbent cost on your medical bill, or if somebody, uh, you know, if they do price gouging on your insulin, I'm going to be your advocate. So for me, um, it's more values than party affiliation. And uh, that's kind of where I'm coming from. On that note, can we do a big round of applause for Attorney Judge? You and I are going to take a seat. All right, if you have got a question, if you've got a question, uh, just raise your hand. I will come towards you in a non-threatening manner and give you a, a sticker and a microphone to ask a question with. All right, it's our favorite question asker. Ta-da. In today's current political landscape, what do you think is the biggest evil? Um, perhaps gerrymandering, dark money, something else, and as Attorney General, what can you do about it? You know, I think the biggest problem facing our country is is the difference between corporate profitability and high-income individuals and everybody else. Because when you look at, because with all the tremendous income and wealth inequality that has developed over the last 50 years, you know, those folks who are at the very tip-top of the income scale, they, they buy political influence, they basically capture uh, administrative agencies like the EPA, uh, they undermine, they, they, they pack the court by, get, you know, by working with folks to have judges that share their political ideas. Uh, and uh, the net effect is Citizens United, Shelby County, Janice. Uh, so I think at the end of the day, we've got to make the economy uh, one that works for everybody uh, and not just a few people. I mean, because you might think, well, look, climate change is the biggest problem. It's the biggest evil. Yeah, but the reason we can't do anything on climate is because we don't have politicians who actually reflect the popular will around uh, environmental stewardship. And why is that? Because the people in, you know, high, high net worth folks got money to, you know, put folks in who they want. Uh, so I think it's income inequality is the biggest problem. Mm, great. Uh, were there hands up here? Because I will come up there. I will come up there. Just watch me. I'm coming up these stairs. All right, I'm going to... Oh, this makes me nervous, but I'm going to hand the microphone over there. Don't make me regret this. All right, and I'll hand you a sticker as well. All right, this is karaoke, right? Uh, what, okay. <laughs> so uh, my question is, if you think about... <laughs> income inequality 
and opportunity inequality and your role as Attorney General, uh, what are the limitations of what you can do in this office? Uh, what can you do to help with things like uh, per pupil funding in public schools? And if, if, there's, if there's an answer there that includes a limit, then what's your future look like? Well, you know, what I cannot do, I cannot vote on a bill. I cannot introduce a bill. That's what the legislature does. I can't make a judicial decision. That's what judges do. But what I can do uh, is I can say uh, in the situation of, of educational funding is I, I, where, where school districts are not being fair, I can either as a plaintiff or defendant, because sometimes it's where the defendant uh, is uh, challenge the inequality. You should know that it's my job to represent the Minnesota Department of Education, and when they're sued, uh, I'm on the other side of that lawsuit. So I have the prerogative to just fight it out and say, no, we're not discriminating, we're fair, or if we are, it's legal for me to do this. Or I can say, let's do mediation. Let's work it out. Let's find an answer that works for everybody. And um, so that's kind of how I see those issues. But there's a lot we can do in terms of educational um, uh, opportunity and uh, whether we're plaintiffs or defendants. Does that mean that you may or already have end up in situations where you are defending a state agency doing something that you don't agree with? Um, see, if I were to say yes to that, uh, <laughs> the, you know, my, my clients, the agency who's doing this Let's stuff. make some news, Attorney General. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, let me just say that if, hypothetically, I think my client's on the wrong side of that thing, I think it's important to negotiate, settle, and come up with a good out outcome for everybody. So diplomatic. Sorry. <laughs> all right, so, all right, who else has a question? Oh, up here, yes, I'll stay up here for a minute. Some of these cases that you work on are years in the making. Are yeah. there any cases from that were began under Lori Swanson that maybe you've changed direction on or dropped, and why? Uh, what I will say to that is yes, but I can't tell you which ones. What? <laughs> well, because, look, you know, we're, we are in an adversarial system, right? You know, uh, and, um, you know, the people on the other side know, know what's changed, <laughs> you know? But, uh, you know, oftentimes, so, for, and, and here's the other thing. There are some cases that were filed in December of 2018. It, they were filed then, but I have to resolve them. You know, I'm, it's, it's just natural that I might take a different approach. But I do it listening to the attorneys on the file, listening to the investigators on the file. I do it in consultation with the people who I rely on to really do the cases. Uh, and so, but it, I, don't, I got a feeling that it wouldn't be a good idea for me to announce that. You know, because um, I haven't thought it through all the way enough, and I'm not sure that I wouldn't be putting my foot right in my mouth and regretting what I just said. So I'm just going to go to the next question. All right. <laughs> all right. Who has a question? I will. Uh, oh, yes, right here in the middle of the most easy place to get to. All right. Hi, Keith. Hey. Um, this question is not a political question. It relates more to the authorities and duties of the, uh, the Attorney General. Right. I know that historically the Attorney General has, has in fact, provided, and actually I thought 
had been statutorily required to assist the rural counties and the smaller counties in the criminal matters yep. that are of bigger import. And I know that actually stopped. I think it stopped with Lori Swanson. I'm not sure if it did a little bit before that. But is it your intent to provide some help to the counties, uh, the rural and smaller counties who don't have the uh, resources that the AG's office has? Absolutely, yes. In fact, we're working on that today. But we need more money because you should know that when Skip Humphrey was the attorney general, there were 260 attorneys at the Minnesota Attorney General's office. Now there's 130. Uh, and so the office has, you know, office in terms of numbers has gone down quite a lot. We used to have 12 people in our criminal division that worked on greater Minnesota um, criminal prosecution. Right. Now we're down to one person who does it full time. Right. We have some other people who come in and come out, but one person who does it full time. Uh, and so absolutely, when I talk to the county attorneys, they tell me that they need the help. We're, we basically could only do homicide cases now, but there's a lot of criminal cases in greater Minnesota that are not homicide cases that are pretty complicated. Correct. Complicated mortgage fraud, you know, misclassification of workers, you know, uh, wage theft, sex uh, trafficking, right. uh, all serious cases that are interdistrict, right. and they need our help. But we've got to have the people to do it. Well, I, I would, And so we're fighting for the resources that we need to do it. I would agree with that. And I, I know that those outstate counties, if they have to pursue something, would have to hi hire outside help, which no doubt. would be the same, same amount as paying for additional AGs. Or they got to go to like Ramsey or, I mean, or Hennepin or Washington to, to help them do the case. And those counties need you know, their lawyers doing their own cases. So, I mean, it really is the job of the attorney general to back up the counties in greater Minnesota. I mean, like, look, if there's a homicide every four or five years and you got blood spatter, DNA, complicated stuff, you need somebody who knows how to try a murder case, not somebody who um, is going to try to figure it out, but it's, it's complicated and it's tough. So we're all there. That is where we're headed. But we also want to be there for some of these economic cases as well. Tane, can I go back to the last question? I don't like my, la my answer. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm not even on stage anymore. So right. Sure, so, yeah. So, so let me just say this. As a member of Congress, I used to just stand up and blast out what I thought was right. I'm for single payer. I'm for this. I'm for that. I just get up and just say it. Now, if we're going to sue somebody, I don't want the defendant coming into court saying, he, he prejudged the evidence. He was biased against me from the very beginning. And he's out there declaring who, all these things, and we never even had a fair shot. That ev if that kind of evidence came into the court, it could hurt the case that I'm trying to pursue. So I've got to be a little bit more careful in my rhetoric than I used to be. But then how do you balance that with what we were talking about in the first half of you also want to be transparent with people, what they're voting for and it's who tough. you are? Yeah, it's, you know, it's not easy because the way I balance it is I talk about values. I believe that the, the gap between the very wealthy and everybody else is too wide. I believe we all should be environmental stewards. I'm, I believe in occupational safety. And I believe that workers should get the, the wages that they work for. Those are all generalized things. But if I, get, but if I say, you know, the Acme company is responsible for blah, 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 that, you know, they're, they're going to say, look, you, the attorney general who's supposed to operate on the basis of the evidence, have a prejudice. 
And so I, it, so my rhetoric, I've, one of the things I've had to deal with is sort of thinking about how I talk about issues that's different from being a member of Congress. So I, I hope you all understand that, but that's just the reality. I got to protect the case, so I got to watch what I say. And to, I can say what's in the complaint. I can say what my values are. But to say what the outcome of, a, you know, how I'm going to decide to pursue a case is something I need to reflect on. Fair enough. All right. Oh, I've got a question here. Lee Sheehy. Mr. Attorney General. Hey, that guy used to be the deputy That's chief right. of the Attorney General's office. Give him a hand. I have it. All right. I assume that's all you wanted. Uh, <laughs> I have a fun question. All right, I like fun questions. If you had Sean Spicer under oath, what two? Que- <laughs> oh my goodness! What two questions would you want to ask him? I'd want to ask him what really happened in the Russian hotel. You know, gross. <laughs> I just would like to know. <laughs> and I'd also, I'd also ask him. Um, what did Trump really say uh, about the meeting at the Trump Tower that the Russian lawyer was at? You know what I mean? Because, because we don't know what happened in that conversation. You know, Mueller had to not do what he did, but I'd like to know from Sean Spicer what, uh, what was happening there. So, All right, I have time for maybe one last question, if there's anybody else with one last question. Oh, right here, right in the Over the years, I've called the AG's office maybe three or four times with an individual issue. And in all cases, I was given a referral to another agency of government or someone else to pursue. And it was very useful information. How much of the work in the AG's office is, as you've talked previously, mainly um, corporate or class-based, I mean, groups of individuals as opposed to a single person calling with a problem? Is that very rare? You know what? Let me tell you. In the, I don't have the most recent numbers, but I can tell you for the last six months of 2018, they fielded 35,000 calls, uh, mostly from individuals. And, uh, you know, uh, they complain about, you know, companies, to be sure, but also, you know, um, housing issues, all kinds of stuff. We got folks who do this every day. Nina? Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, so 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 Nina, she's a, how many are you, are you guys all in the consumer division? Yeah. You two guys, and they and they just deal with uh, uh, calls every. Are you guys mediators or analysts? Yeah. yeah. So they just so whenever I do community meetings, they show up. They take complaints from people, and they about will, this show. <laughs> it's not a consumer fraud, man. Come on, it's a great show, but <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's confidential, right? But, but it is a great source of information. And one of the things, we, we'll, we can also send you booklets on things. And we're trying to, we're, well, I have a plan down the road to try to make videos for all of the booklets. What do you think about that, Nina? So we would do like one or two minute videos of, of, of you know, auto, you know, like auto lemon law stuff or landlord tenant or, um, you know, we have a whole bunch of booklets on every consumer issue and every issue you can think of, and we want to sort of digitize it and sort of dramatize it with video so it'll be a lot more accessible. So that's what we're going to do. 
So, hey, if you got a problem, call the attorney general's office. I want to see those billboards. Uh, <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, last piece uh, that I wanted to ask you about, which is just your uh, you being attorney general is uh, historic in a lot of ways. So you were the um, yeah, you're welcome. Uh, so <laughs> you were the the first candidate uh, African American candidate, right, to run and win statewide. I think were you the first one to run statewide? I don't know. It all kind of depends on how you deal with the judges, right? Right. Because yeah, non judicial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Because uh, Alan Page, you know. Yes, um, Alan Page. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but non-judicial, yeah, I think so. So, I mean, uh, that, there was that piece. I mean, as we talked about a little bit, there, it, was, it was a partisan race to a large degree. Um, there was a lot of things during the campaign. And I'm curious what that sort of leaves you feeling now, like in terms of the responsibility or the pressure or the opportunity that you feel like – I'm in this office now, and I need to do what, or I need to live up to what, or I need to exceed what, uh, because this was new. This is different, you being yeah, in this yeah, office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let me tell you, you know, uh, I believe in representation. I believe that every person of every ethnicity, color, gender, um, sexual orientation, all that should be reflected in the leadership of our country. I also uh, believe that after we do that, or after that's done, it's important to move beyond it and focus on what they're going to do, right? I mean, because at the end of the day, you know, as much as, as, as proud as I am and I always will be of Thurgood Marshall, after he left office, you know, a lot of people said, well, we need a black person on the Supreme Court justice. And, and, and George H.W. Bush said, I got one for you. <laughs> right? And 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 say and so it, identity is not necessarily ideology. It's not belief. It's not values. And so it's important to say, yeah, we need representation. Everybody should be able to participate, offer leadership. But what are you really going to do, right after that? Remember, Jackie Robinson. He wasn't just the first black baseball player in the major leagues. He was a rookie of the year. He was the best baseball player that year. And I'm, that's, what I, that's what I keep in mind. I'm trying to be the best AG I can be uh, by being very responsive, by fighting the causes that need fighting, by being courageous in the face of big-time power, uh, by making sure that everybody feels uh, represented, you know, from, from Warroad to Ely to Rondo and everywhere in between, South Minneapolis, that people feel that the AG's office has their back. So um, that's really what we're going for. There's a few things that we have plucked out that we really want to get done. We want to make sure we do something on wage theft. It's a very serious problem, and we're, we're we building a unit to do it. We want to do something on this looming farm crisis. You all know that farmers out there, we're, we're in a very serious time for small and moderate-sized farmers, and a lot of people are going to go out of business. And when they do, we're going to further monopolize and concentrate markets in Rural America, you know, I mean, they're, they're just going to buy up more and your food is going to be more industrial even than it is now. I mean, we're, we're, working, we're working on women's economic security to make sure that everybody in this society can get the benefit of their hard work, uh, which women don't get now. And then, of course, we're, we started a, um, a task force on lowering drug prices. And, you know, it's a big deal. We asked for, you know, we, we posted it. 106 people applied. We could only put 15 on. 
But, you know, our first meeting is going to be on the 23rd of April, and we are going to, our mission is to lower drug prices. And we're going to work with AGs all over the country to share what we learned right here so that nobody ever loses their child uh, from ketoacidosis because they cannot afford their drugs. And that's what we're doing. And so these are the, these, this is the fight that we're on right now. This is the mission we're on. Also, you know, I've been getting a lot of complaints about housing. And so historically, the attorney general has, thought of, has not thought of tenants as consumers, but they are, right? Tenants are consumers. So we need to think in terms of consumer protection for people who buy housing space, you know? And so these are the, that's what we're fighting for. That's what we're organized for. That's why I'm driving all over the state. That's why um, we're planning and we're organizing as many people as we can. You know, I tell you, Tane, we've been to two prisons. We've done eight community listening sessions, one of them in Shakopee Correctional Facility, the women's facility, because let me tell you, when people go to prisons, they usually don't go to the women's prison. We want to make sure we went there first. And then we went to Faribault, which is the largest prison in the state of Minnesota. We didn't go there talking about criminal justice stuff. We went there talking about regular stuff, consumer stuff, educational stuff, labor stuff. And, you know, you'd be surprised at how ordinary the things that these inmates, uh, these, these Minnesotans who happen to be incarcerated, how ordinary the concerns that they raised about education, about long-term care. One guy was talking about how his mom was in a you know, long-term care facility and are we looking out after that population? And he wasn't even asking about himself. So, you know, uh, that's what we want to do and that's where we're going to go. And we're just getting started, 91 days, and we're excited about the future. On that note, please, a big round of applause. Thank you for listening. This show was recorded live at the Bryant Lake Bowl in Minneapolis. If you'd like to attend one of our live shows or are interested in working with us on an issue you're passionate about, you can find out more information on our website at www.t2p2.net and on Facebook and Twitter. Also, if you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend about it. Thanks.